In the U.S. alone, more than 1.7 million people are diagnosed with cancer each year. Millions more are impacted as they watch someone close battle this disease. Shaking Cancer is an effort to tell the stories that counter the effects of this relentless and unforgiving disease. This is the Shaking Cancer Podcast. David Richman, it's great to meet you. First off, thank you for spending the time with us today. Uh, you're very welcome, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So let's ask the big question to introduce yep. our listeners to you. Tell us how cancer has affected your life in sort of the 30-second condensed version, and then we'll get into all the details. But what does cancer mean to you, and, and how has it touched your life? Sure. So in the 30-second condensed version, um, uh, my sister called me up one day and told me she had uh, uh, what was probably terminal brain cancer. And um, she is young, you know, a young husband and two young kids and vibrant and whatever. And then all we had to do is uh, kind of face the fact that she was going to be around much longer. And um I learned a lot through that process. One of the things that I noticed was that um, the emotional side of that journey, <clears throat> um, either during or after, um, uh, people don't talk about. And um, I came to learn that it was real easy for people to talk around the tasks around their cancer. You know, how do I navigate work? And how do I go to get to the doctor's office and to deal with my treatments and all of this stuff? but they didn't deal with the emotional side. And I noticed that over years and years. And I set out um, to do a project where I would try to explore that emotional side so that we could become better informed, um, better <clears throat> understand what people are going through, uh, what we might be going through, and so that we can have more meaningful conversations and thus deeper connections with people um, on an emotional level about this traumatic occurrence that touches most, most seemingly most everybody uh, called cancer. So what I've read about you, what we've mm -hmm. talked about even before we started recording, what I've listened to from you, you have this, just this element about you that just has this, what, how, how can I be aware of what's around me? It seems, is that accurate? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel that when, and even going back to that experience where you felt that like, you held that there was something around it more so than what you just saw on the surface or what maybe you were experiencing in a moment of anger or in a moment of frustration or in a moment of disappointment. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of always have been somebody that uh, considers myself an observer rather than a participant. I always feel like, you know, how, in fact, I, I didn't think about it. So you just asked that question, but even when I was a kid, I used to call myself, me and my buddy used to call ourselves the shadows because we always felt we were in the shadows and not in the, in the thing. Sure. And I think that um, that's a curse, but it's also a gift too, because I feel like I really uh, purposely observe. And, um, uh, I, and, and when I observe that issue of um, how can you know so much about somebody and not know the trauma that they've experienced? Um, there's a reason for that. Either we're not giving people a safe space to talk, or we don't have the proper tools to engage them in a meaningful discussion. And um, whether it was around suicide or drug addiction or 
um, abandonment, loss of a spouse, whatever the issue, um, it seemed like that trauma, the emotional side of it was just buried deep inside. And when I noticed that that was even more prevalent with people that had gone through cancer as a loved one, a caregiver, a professional a survivor, um, a family member like you, um, uh, that, that that was something that was absolutely universal in everybody I spoke to is they didn't have the tools to navigate that emotional side. And I kind of saw that and said, man, I got to, I got to lend something to that. I got to, I got to, I got to try to make an impact with that particular aspect of it. How much of that, and, and you've touched on that a little bit, but how much of that do you realize as you're going through it, do you look back on hindsight and realize that you, maybe you went through it or you've seen it in life and how much do you hear that from other stories, certainly in, in the book as well? Yeah, well, I had um, the fortunate um, circumstance that my sister and I had some really deep, meaningful discussions along the way. So we went through periods in our life where we were close and not so close. You know, life gets in the way. You have, you know, family, you have kids, you have whatever. Sure. And um, but but. Uh, certainly after her diagnosis, we had uh, some real meaningful discussions and it probably allowed me to kind of process a little bit of what I was going through. Maybe not all of it, but, you know, on the emotional level. Um, uh, but I certainly did um, through this whole period realize that even I wasn't, even though I had noticed that this was an issue. And even though I had kind of uh, addressed it along the way for myself, I still noticed that I was woefully uh, underarmed to deal with both my own emotions and to interact, especially to interact with other people who are going through things. And so, yeah, I, I, I'd say a little partly knew it uh, as I was there and partly definitely, you know, partly uh, recognized it after the fact. So let's talk a little bit um, about cycle of lives and let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the process for you. Mm -hmm. What led you uh, walk us through that timeline of from beginning to where we are talking today. Okay. Well, sure. That's um, it's pretty interesting because I was fortunate that, you know, when you come up with an idea, you come up with a vision for something like what you're doing now, um, you have to execute, of course, but when you do execute, if you're fortunate enough to accomplish what you hope to accomplish, then you're like, oh man, that's so rewarding because you, you set out to go do something, then you employ whatever talents or luck or whatever you, you encounter. And, and if you're able to deliver what you set out to deliver, it's a very rewarding thing. And when I came up with this idea, not that it's original, but it meant something to me that people don't know how to talk about the emotions of cancer or um, trauma in general. They, um, they don't know how to process it. They, they kind of mostly tuck it away. When that became a theme that I wanted to work with, I said, well, what would be the best way to go about that? I didn't think my story was that interesting. It wouldn't be in impactful enough. I didn't think that any one person's story <clears throat> would be. And what I did learn through this process was that it doesn't matter if you have stage zero or stage four, it doesn't matter if it's a one-time event or if it's a, you know, your whole life is spent dealing with cancer. It doesn't matter if you're a caregiver or a receiver. 
loved one or the survivor, you know, it doesn't matter. It all has profound effect on us. And um, especially in relation to the other traumas in our life. So I set out, I know it's a long answer, but I'm, I'm no, giving it to fine. you anyway. <laughs> so basically I set, I set out to find people that had unbelievably interesting stories uh, that we could all kind of identify or relate to or understand what trauma might be involved in, say, for example, um, losing a parent to suicide or um, uh, uh, b- being in an abusive relationship or um, uh, being abandoned by a loved one. Uh, these are things that we might be able to identify with. And then I wanted a wide range of ages. So people that encountered cancer as a child, seeing their parent go through it, as a young adult like you, seeing a parent go through it, um, as a young adult or as an old person going through it themselves, as a, as a caregiver just embarking on a career in oncology, as a caregiver who's been decades. So I wanted ages and experience level to be all over the place, huh. trauma to be all over the place. I wanted there to be, whether, whether it was a one-time, one-and-done, or if it was you know the center of their life. And then I wanted a wide range of emotional uh, foundation to their cancer experience. Some people, as you know, um, might look at uh, it, 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 they might feel grief. They might feel relief. They, they might feel, you know, that it's over. That might be the center of it. Like, thank mm-hmm. God they're not in pain anymore. Or uh, some people have anger. Some people feel uh, desperately alone. There's all these range of emotions. And so what I wanted to do was kind of take this wheel, the cycle of life and say, if I could hit it from all these different perspectives, then maybe tap into the brains of these people and their hearts and their minds and their souls about what they went through or what they're going through. And then tell that story that it might, we might better understand what people are going through and we might be able to create a safe space for ourselves and for the people around us to deal with that part of it. It's so interesting to hear you say that. And throughout what you've just told me in that process, I've had the same thought in starting to put together these stories through mm-hmm. through this podcast and, and what I've thought about. And one of the things that has always come to my mind has always been that question. And, and it might be a personality trait of mine where I just have a little bit of doubt, maybe a little bit of mm-hmm. trying to read the room, a little bit of that element of trying to be an observer um, of sort of what's happening and, and understanding or, around me. But I always ask myself that question. What if people don't really want to tell that story? What if we're mm-hmm. just almost faking it that we want to tell that story? And in the end, I almost always convince myself that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Have you had moments like that? Have you had from the people you spoke with for the book, the people who you've just come across in your mm-hmm. day-to-day life, who you've had that feeling of maybe we don't tell those stories or maybe people just yep. want to only tell a certain part of it that sort of relieves some of the steam out of the steam valve. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. And here, here's what my experience has shown. Take the premise that a hundred percent of the people that we're going to run into are in our lives have experienced or will experience some form of trauma. It's almost impossible to say you don't have any trauma in life. Sure. You're not going to incur, incur any emotional difficulty. You don't have things to get over. Let's just say, we all have that in common. We're all humans. We all have trauma. We all have an emotional response to that. Now, there's a tiny little bit of the world, and I mean it's a tiny little bit, that 
blows that trauma so far out of proportion that it's unrelatable. You know, for example, sometimes you just want to say to somebody like literally you broke a fingernail, get over it. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. and that's a small amount of people that, yeah. that, that kind of have that, like, Oh my God, like get over yourself already. Yep. Most the that that's maybe one or 2% of, of, even if it's that high. Sure. Okay. Most people are not like that. Then you have a tiny, tiny little uh, 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 percentage, uh, maybe another one or 2%, maybe a little bit more that no matter how much you enlighten them, no matter how much of a safe space you give them, no matter how much of um, love and caring and uh, an environment that would be conducive to them opening up, they still can't. They're not able to, they don't want to. It's just the way it is. They, it, right. I don't want to talk about it. It's never going to be want no part, part of it. Of yep. I get yeah. it. Yep. Okay. Well, Let's be generous and say those two only add up to two or three percent. Still, 97, 98% of the people out there, if they're not ready to, they want to deal with their, their issues. If they're um, not equipped, they want to learn to be equipped. How many times? Uh, I can't tell you how many times. How many times have you run into somebody who says, Oh my gosh, something happened to somebody and I don't know what to say? Oh my gosh, I, I, I don't want to sound stupid. I'm not going to say anything, right? Something bad happens and your only thing is to say, ah, oh, geez, I'm sorry, right? Well, you weren't responsible. Why should you be sorry, right? But if we, if we had the tools, if, yep. if we understood what people were going through, if we had a safe space to make mistakes or a safe space to give other people the ability to work through these issues, I mean, honestly, like 95, 98% of people will. But you, when you come across people that either one, um, blow it so out of proportion that it's not based in reality. There's not much you can do. And also it's unfortunate, but there's going to be a very few people who just literally cannot walk down that path of talking about it. And I know for some people, including myself, uh, I've had many of those examples that, that you cite and that you, you look back on. I, I, you have moments where you start to realize, and, and maybe it's just the experience of it too. Um, because there. So there's part of it. There, there is been that feeling, and I've talked with people about this, that there's that feeling of, okay, you've been through it. For me, I've been through it twice of losing a parent mm -hmm. to cancer. Mm -hmm. So you become higher on the list in some way of the person who has the expertise because you've been yep. through it twice. And I don't yep. consider myself an expert in any way about it, but I guess compared to others who have never gone through it, if somebody's going through it for the first time, yeah, I guess in that way, I, I, I am a little bit mm -hmm. along those lines though, there's never a playbook. There's never anything that tells you, this is what you say in this, this instance, but it, right. it is, it is sort of that mechanism in you that fires in your brain that starts with that. Oh, I'm so sorry. How long mm -hmm. were they sick? And sort of ask those structured questions at the beginning, mm -hmm. before you get into that, that the depth of that. And it seems like that's what everybody wants to get to. It just seems that you've got sort of like that layer of like film on the top that you're trying to sort of brush off before you yeah. get to like the really good stuff underneath. Yeah. And, and it's so strange to me that that happens, but it's so relatable because I bet anyone listening to this has either heard that happen or has had that happen to them or they've done it themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, I've learned this a long, long, long time ago is that it's okay sometimes to feel sorry for yourself. It's okay sometimes to feel proud of yourself. 
it's okay to feel like the world's stacked against you. And sometimes it's okay to feel that the world's stacked for you. It's just, that's all okay. And so what was really interesting to, to add to that point is when I talk to people, every single person that I spoke to, every single one, they were, they gave me a disclaimer. They said, ah, I'm not sure what you want to talk about. My story is not that interesting. People are just living their life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, again, take away that very small percentage that you couldn't relate to anyway, but it is interesting. We just think it's not because it's our life and it's just what we're dealing with. And you know, I can go do an Ironman and think it's no big deal. And other people go, oh my God, you, you've done what? You've done an Ironman. What, what even is that? How in the world could you do that? Well, I've done 20 of them. And the next person might look at me and go, that's it? Uh, you call yourself an Ironman? You've only done 20? Like I, I've done 20 in the last three years. I'll probably do another 100 in the next 10. And you go, all right, well, whatever. I, I, you live your life. I'll live mine. They, let them live theirs. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's like our lives are interesting if we allow them to be. And I believe that by sharing stories, which is kind of like your whole your whole goal, by sharing stories, we realize that everybody's interesting. We have a lot of things in common and we're connected in a lot more ways than we ever want to admit or open ourselves up to very easily. But if we can connect, I can learn from the things that you think are not interesting about you because I find them fascinating and vice versa. Yep. And, and that's the, that's the connection I was looking for. So my experience has been that if you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever been or been able to call yourself a triathlete, um, mm-hmm. you're usually a pretty positive person. Do you yeah. see yourself as a pretty positive person overall? <laughs> yeah, I would say that um, I am definitely a very positive person. I haven't been my whole life, but for the majority of my life, I'm a pretty positive person. And um, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, endurance athletics helped that. Yeah. Um, uh, when when you want to do something and you don't, um, you can look down upon yourself right? Uh, oh, I always wanted to do this, but I haven't. Oh, it's too late to do this because I always want to do this. And I always want to learn how to paint. I always want to learn how to do a play an instrument. I always wanted to be a better friend, uh, whatever. You got time to do all of that stuff. Just, just start doing it. And once you start accomplishing the goals that you set out for yourself, then you start becoming even more optimistic and even more positive. And it's been many, 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 many years that I've always believed that my uh, best days are ahead of me. I didn't come to that on my own conclusion sometimes, but just over a collective a period of time, I, things I watched and learned about others and speaking to others and things that I've done myself, I definitely think my best days are ahead of me. I've, I've had a wonderful life, but I still feel like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till tomorrow. So yeah, I would say I'm very positive and very optimistic. Then the setup for that was yeah. to get to the point where we start to address that sometimes that positivity can almost be seen as almost a negative when it comes to this, because it's, oh, it's rose colored glasses, or it's, oh, you're just trying to make something good out of what's a pretty awful experience for people, or um, it's trauma. And that's, there's never anything 
we can talk about something good coming from it, but nothing good ever comes of it. I mean, there, so I, I, I guess what I go back to, I go back to those moments and, and go back to that, mm. the reason why there's a milkshake behind me as I'm talking to you. I go back to that moment where I'm thinking, okay, my mom is sitting in bed and we've just called hospice and we've said we're preparing for everything that's going to come in the next two weeks. And we're sitting there and drinking a milkshake together. And mm -hmm. in that moment, I didn't see anything about it that was like, okay, this is the moment that I'm going to talk about with somebody nine years later. But what I do see now is the positives that came of that, of she and I sitting in a room and having a conversation that was the most normal conversation that we had had in weeks, just mm -hmm. because everything had lifted from us and whether mm -hmm. um, with people who would tell you that that's spiritual, I would talk with people. I've talked with people who would tell you that that's medical. I would talk with people mm -hmm. who have told you that that's some mix of everything. Um, but I guess the question in all of that is there's always a feeling, right? That, that if you're just looking at it from a positive lens, if that's just you, you can make a positive out of anything. Right. Do you see that conversation and and how do you try to address that in sort of the the stories that you've told to the people who again have told you it's nothing special about my story it's just my story yeah it's a great point and you know i mean listen that <laughs> stuff happens all the time yep right? and it can be something that you want to give into and just say oh, i'm not in control of anything and the worst could happen and you're probably right we're probably not in control of anything and the worst could happen. I just talked to somebody today who said, dude, your health is a, 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 as a horse. And uh, at your age, you could die instantaneously of a heart attack just like that. I had a coworker I'd do that not too long ago. Overnight, done. And I, oh, yeah, of course bad things happen. But if we're not in control of those things, but why don't we just control what we can't control? And so I'm, I'm going to choose to be optimistic. Why? Because that makes me happier. And I'm going to choose to be healthy and believe my best, day, best days are ahead of me because that makes, makes me feel good inside. And even if it ends up not being true, well, at least uh, I don't think it was a bad thing to believe it was true, right? Uh, it's not like I'm, I'm uh, broke and I'm looking at the bank going, look at all this money I have. I'm not, I, I'm not delusional. I'm just choosing a different viewpoint. And when I put that into relation, like one of the book participants, what a story I always get people with is as they, as they say, Oh, the, the range of emotions. And I said, could you imagine somebody being told that they had a tumor, the size of a grapefruit in their brain? Could you imagine that being told that you're going to be wheeled into surgery and that you might not come out. And you could you imagine that putting a smile of joy on that person's face, you would say not possible, not even possible, right? Not even, po and I will oh. give you the circumstances behind it as to tell you why it was a very joyful moment for that person. And so um, who am I to say that you should react a certain way or who am I to say that, 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 that it is a terrible thing when you think it's a great thing. Uh, I mean, or vice versa, right? I'm not going to tell you to feel happy about something. If, if it doesn't fulfill you, I can't look at you and say, you should feel this. Clearly there's, there's some gray area there, but 
I, I think that it, it is okay to be optimistic. It is okay to believe that you can take a good out of something bad. I see people do it all the time. I spoke to somebody who told me that they saw their spouse have tears of joy and a big smile when they found out that the issues going on with them was cancer. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? I mean, right? So I guess... It's, you know, again, I love giving long answers and I apologize for that, but, but um, it does, it does prove to you that you don't know what people are going through and don't assume that you, that you do. What might be really helpful is to try to understand what they're going through and try to relate to them and make it safe that they can feel the way they're going to feel and that they have the ability to share it with you because you care and that whether they look like an idiot or sound like an idiot or not, it's okay. It's, it's okay. So in telling the stories that you tell in the book and in talking with the people who you've talked to, and um, that's not just related to the book, that's just in day-to-day life. Because again, you could run into somebody tomorrow who you could have some contact with through something else in your life. And you would think to yourself, boy, I wish I had gotten that person into the book because that's probably the story that would relate even no more so doubt. than than, no than, than what happens. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you have stories that when they come to you, and I'm sure out of the, the people who you spoke with for the book, that just either stick in your mind more, make you smile? Is it just sort of overwhelming of everybody that you spoke with? Is there just anything that sort of sticks out and what's your sort of emotion after you've, you now look at the finished product and you say, wow, those were some amazing stories. Yeah. I did have to go through quite a few people until I found the right stories. Cause I, I wanted to be bringing evocative, interesting, moving, inspirational, hopeful. Um, maybe not all of them are hopeful and inspirational, but I think they are in some way. Um, so I wanted to bring these. So to find the people that had these stories and also would open up to me uh, was rather difficult, right? So in one sense, the answer to your question is yes, all of them do in some way or another make me feel good. There are the ones that really make me feel special and the ones that make me feel like we accomplished what we were trying to accomplish is the who went into our discussions with a let's see what we find out. Uh, people that went into the discussion and were withholding very critical and crucial parts of their experience hidden away, even sometimes from themselves. We discussed these things along the way and then bridged the gap between um, uh, being less of a filled and whole person with your emotions and with the people that are around you to the ones, you know, to getting uh, to be grounded and heart centered and fulfilled with that emotional side. I'll tell you a super quick story. I won't give you all the details on it, but one, he kind of had this overwhelming uh, belief that um, he was always going to die. He was told very young he was going to die. He overcame the cancer. He told himself again, going to die um, uh, when he made a bunch of decisions and he made it through there. Cancer came back. He, he was told for sure he's going to die. He beat that cancer again. Stage four mm-hmm. twice. Imagine, imagine that over a wow. long period of time. 
horrible decisions in his own life. He overcame all of that. And he was sitting there and he was talking to me one night and he just broke down in tears and he goes, I'm just so afraid to die. And I've been that way my whole life. And we talked through that issue and that conversation, we came up with the conclusion that that was the exact opposite of what he was afraid of. He was told he was going to die his whole life and he believed it. He was afraid to live. Hmm. He, he wasn't afraid to die. Yeah. He had already accepted that thing. It just never happened. He was afraid to live. And when we got through that, he, he definitely bridged a major gap between thinking you're going to die and thinking you want to live. That's a, such a huge gap. And he was able to bridge that gap, mend a lot of relationships and come at peace with himself on a number of different issues. And that to me is unbelievably fulfilling because um, it was through me giving him a safe space to talk. And it was through his willingness to want to connect, knowing that he mattered and knowing that people cared to know his story and that he was safe to explore that stuff, that he made this deep connection and this transformation. And so I look back on a story like that and I say, oh my gosh, how unbelievably fulfilling. And who can't identify once you learn the circumstances, the way that somebody might live their life if they think they're going to die their whole life uh, versus somebody who's living their life with the thought that they want to live. I can't identify with that. If I know the circumstances behind it, man, I could feel it all day long. Well, and, and, and part of it to me, as you're saying that, I keep thinking of that, that sort of um, the, the myth that occurs and that maybe we create in our heads too, um, where we've, you, you all of a sudden it becomes reality because you've just said it so many times and then you open up and you, you know, sometimes you think that that connection is so difficult to make and it really could just be a 20 minute conversation. I've had people who I've, I've talked with at, at work in life in the office where you'll have a conversation with someone and um, maybe you haven't made a connection with them, or maybe you didn't know that they, you had that, that bond of something of a, of a connection or whatever it may be. And it, just you can see those moments where it just clicks and it's you think maybe that's not just the one perspective on that maybe there's two maybe there's three maybe there's 10 yeah um and and, you know to me that's one of the things that i think is so great which makes me so excited to talk with you is that i think that those perspectives in in all of those perspectives you can process that on your own a little bit too and i think that there's something extremely helpful about that but I also think that there's the the helpful side of things where you're talking in a in a you know a group session with 15 people. I understand mm-hmm. how one-on-one conversations could be helpful, and I understand how sitting down and reading a book like yours could really start mm-hmm. to click in somebody's mind and say, you know, maybe that's just a different way to look at that. And just outside of the space of even of what we're talking about as part of this podcast too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And but but what doesn't work is keeping it bottled up. Well, what doesn't work is not opening up. Can, can I tell you a super quick story about one uh, family? And I've told this story a few times, but I want to tell it again. And that is that I was on the bike ride. So I did this big bike ride to connect all the books, book participants, you know, and I biked 5,000 miles in like 45 days and all across and up and down the country. And 
Um, I was in New Mexico and a family, a, a good friend of mine, his family said, we want to take you out for brunch. And I said, great. And the dad who was in his probably late seventies, early eighties, pulled me over and he said, Hey, David, Jerry told me about what you're doing. And I, and I think it's such a great idea. People have to share their emotions and, you know, it's good that people talk and this whole thing. Then um, Jerry's sister pulled me over and said, she's in her fifties. You know, I had uh, cancer and changed my life. I became a lobbyist and left my job as a nurse and really affected me. And it's really good thing what you're doing about uh, writing this book and trying to connect people through their emotional experiences with cancer and so as I'm, as I'm done with the brunch and I'm, uh, and I'm giving a little thank you to the group, I look over at the dad and I say, you know, thank you for sharing because most people aren't like you. And he puts his hands in his hands and uh, together and he looks down and, and I said, what? And he said, oh, well, I don't talk about it. I'm just glad that you're doing a book about it. But I, I, when I had cancer, I didn't want to burden my family. I didn't want to. Mm. I go, but you just, you just told me how great it is I'm doing this. And he yeah. says, well, it's great for you to do it. doesn't mean that I could do it. And I looked over at the daughter and I go, well, at least you've talked to your dad about your experience. She's like, I go, what? And she goes, no, I don't, he's, I don't want to make him feel guilty yeah. that, that he, you know, I don't want him to remember what he went through, have him feel like he lose a daughter, not talking about it, not processing it, ignoring it, tucking away. It's not going to solve the problem. Now, maybe some people don't ever want the problem solved, but I believe at our base, we want to be safe. I know that others care. Um, we want, we want to know we're important. We want to matter. You can only feel safe. You can only feel important. You can only matter. You can only with people if you learn how to be open with them right it's the only way yeah and in order to be open and connect with people on that level you have to be heart-centered you have to be grounded you, you have to be willing to make mistakes you you have to you know you have to do all these things and most people aren't equipped to do it and so whether it's one-on-one -on -one, whether it's in a group whether it's during the experience or after the experience whether it's through Hearing a hundred stories and then finally one clicks. Whatever it is, go through the pro go through the process because people care, you know. And one day you're gonna wish. I wish I would have. I wish I would have opened up. I wish I would have care about me, or vice versa. So, for people who want to know more about the book and about you, uh, how can they find out more information and, and give us a little bit more info? Okay. So uh, thanks. Um, so 100% of the proceeds from the book are going to the uh, cancer-focused organizations, uh, charities, and other organizations that were near and dear to of the book participants. They chose the organizations that all the proceeds were going to. So if people want to buy the book, whether they buy it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, through my website, cycleoflives.org, um, 100% of the money that comes in goes out to those organizations. Um, um, you know, books don't make a whole lot of money, but um, I have two goals with this with this project. One is to raise money, and so any dollar that's in goes out to great organizations. The bigger goal is to start conversations, um, empower people to maybe help tool them properly to start these conversations so they can learn more at cycleoflives.org. Um, they can buy the book, the ebook, um, and the Audible. And again, 100% of the proceeds go into the cancer-focused uh, charities that were chosen by the book participants. 
you know, I, I've enjoyed the conversation because I think there's so much that relates um, in what I'm trying to accomplish in having these conversations too. Um, I look forward to hopefully talking with you again down the road. Um, and if you're ever biking through upstate New York, come say hello. You know, I got close. I got to, uh, I got to New York in, in Central Park. Okay. Um, so I started in Los Angeles and went down into Florida from Los Angeles all the way to Florida and then up to New York. So I didn't get to quite upstate New York, but I got to at least part of New York. Well, we'll get, um, we'll get you an easy pass and you can just shoot up the, the nice. New York State Thruway and you can come, come see me and say hello. So um, well, I really appreciate the time. It's been a great conversation and, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck. This has been the Shaking Cancer Podcast. Follow us at Shaking Cancer on Facebook and Twitter. And we are Shaking Cancer at Instagram. Reach out to us to share your stories at shakingcancer at gmail.com. By sharing our stories, we are Shaking Cancer.